Hello and welcome back to Femme Fatale, a podcast dedicated to promoting female sci-fi and fantasy authors. Uh, My name is Moya and I'm so excited to come back to you this week with another episode. So last week we talked about uh, Margaret Atwood's works as an author, mostly her novels. We did cover a little bit about her other works like her nonfiction, children's books, poetry, and I think that's it. (laughs) And this week we will be talking about one specific book. I decided to read uh, one book by Margaret Atwood. I've never actually read any of her books, um, so I was really excited to try this out. Uh, And I'm going to do a deep dive into Oryx and Craig, the first book in the Mad Adam trilogy by Margaret Atwood. And this book is a science fiction dystopian novel, Uh, but like I talked about last week, she considers her work a little bit more speculative fiction. But anyways, I hope you're just as excited as I am, and without further ado, we will dive in. So like I said, I've been reading Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood, and this book is wild. Before I go into talking about the book, I just want to warn you right now that there may be some spoilers uh, throughout the episode. I don't intend on giving the ending away or any major plot points, but uh, for anyone who doesn't like knowing anything about books that they're going to read or want to read, I'd suggest probably not listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, But moving along, I do want to share the summary from the back of the book with you guys so you kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about in this episode. Um, So Orcs and Creek was a Booker Prize finalist and it's a New York Times notable book and a national bestseller. Not sure if that means for Canada or the U.S., but regardless, it did really well, is doing really well. Uh, So the back of the book says, Oryx and Crake, the first book of the Mad Adam trilogy, is at once an unforgettable love story and a compelling vision of the future. Snowman, known as Jimmy before mankind was overwhelmed by a plague, is struggling to survive in a world where he may be the last human and mourning the loss of his best friend Crake and the beautiful and elusive Oryx whom they both loved. In search of answers, Snowman embarks on a journey with the help of the green-eyed children of Crake through the lush wilderness that was so recently a great city until powerful corporations took mankind on an uncontrolled genetic engineering ride. Margaret Atwood projects us into a near future that is both all too familiar and beyond our imagining. Something I really should have taken into consideration before reading this book is the fact that it is about a plague and the fact that we are still in the middle of a pandemic. So that was a probably unwise decision, (laughs) but I'll uh, talk about that more later. (laughs) Um, I do want to point out some content warnings for the book, possible trigger um, topics for some people. Uh, There is drug use, um, abandonment, death, a lot of language. There's quite a bit of sexual content as well. Um, more just kind of not necessarily uh, sex scenes, um, just talking about the topic, uh, if you will. 
Um, there's human trafficking and grotesque images. So just keep all that in mind um, if, when you're considering reading this book. Um, so I'm going to talk about three major things in the book, uh, three major aspects of the book, I should say. I'm going to talk about the setting, I'm going to talk about the characters, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the plot. I'm going to be pretty vague there because I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> so starting with the setting, uh, this book definitely takes place in the future. This book was published in 2003, if I'm not mistaken, so it could be, you know, 10 years in that future or, I don't know, 30, or it could be even the future from, future from this year, uh, 20 years down, down the lane, down the line. <laughs> but the things that happen in this book are viable for really any time period besides some of the scientific inventions of, of the, in the book, it, a worldwide plague could happen at any, in any time, as we all know from experience. So I'm not entirely sure when this book takes place, like year-wise, sometime in the future is really all I could say to that. Uh, it takes place mostly in the United States. It does kind of branch out to some other countries and it talks about some other countries during the book, but it focuses on the United States. And it's very different. It is a dystopian science fiction novel, and so it's not the United States that we know. Something to kind of point to with that is that it talks about a new New York, <laughs> which is a very... A uh, cliche way of saying it's not the New York that we know, <laughs> but that's uh, one way to point out that this is not current day America. Another interesting thing in the setting is that there are the what they call the plebe lands, which is basically what well, I would pr probably consider the middle class and poverty level from what was described in the book the Cleveland's don't feel that much different than kind of a normal suburb city kind of area uh there wasn't a whole lot of content in in the Cleveland's and so I don't really know the purpose behind that and what the population looks like. I know that it was always referred to as kind of dirty and less than and seemed like poor people lived there, but the little bit of it that was taking place there, like a regular modern day city, just a very immoralized part, I guess. It talked a lot about uh, the capitalist side of it and how big corporations poured money into it and made a bunch of money off of these areas. And the other aspect of this world were the compounds, and this was kind of where the elite lived. And the main character's father worked for one of these elite corporations that made medicines and 
they worked with genetic experimentation, splicing genes. So they made, they created these animals called pigoons. As the combination of a pig and I have to be honest, I don't remember the other half. <laughs> but all with the purpose of growing organs for humans. Anyways, back to the compounds. The I'll come back to the pigoons. Don't worry. <laughs> the compounds was something created by all these different corporations. So there's Healthwiser, there was Renovescence. There were there are several. Uh, giant corporations all dedicated to splicing genes and making medication and all these different things and these are kind of bigger name corporations that are dedicated to quote-unquote bettering humanity and this is where Jimmy grew up the main character otherwise known as snowman and this is definitely the elite society they were the ones who didn't have to deal with all of the sickness you could say there there was definitely this over overarching sense of humanity is dying throughout the book and i mean this isn't spoiling anything but there's a point when humanity does die because that's very apparent from page one and i mean it even talks about it on the back of the book but even during jimmy's childhood throughout his life you can feel this sense of like things are coming to a close and we need to figure out how to keep that from happening and that was kind of what the compounds and the people working for those corporations were there for so i am gonna go back really quick to the genetic splicing this is more with the world than the kind of the actual you know traditional setting but i would consider that part of the setting because it's part of world building so pigoons, like I said, were a combination of pigs and mother animal. I don't remember what that animal is. And they were uh, created with the purpose of growing extra organs compatible with humans so that if a human needed an organ donor, they would have one. And that was a, the specific purpose for the pigoons. And there were other animals cr genetically created. I honestly have no idea why they didn't really go into that. Or if they did, I totally missed it. <laughs> so they were raccoons. I think that's how you pronounce it. A uh, mix between a raccoon and a skunk. Those were like pets. Uh, they didn't, I don't think, they. yeah, they still had like the component where they smelled, but not as bad. <laughs> I don't know, it still sounds, I don't know if I'd be able to get that image out of my head of a skunk and just, mm, it does not sound great to me, but you know, for Jimmy, it was a great pet as a child. <laughs> uh, and there were just a lot of different, uh, different animals. There's also wolf hugs, uh, which were uh, mixed between wolves and dogs. And, I mean, that it feels like a really uh, cheap, you know, splice, but the way they described it is just, honestly, they, they look like dogs, but they are definitely not. Like, they're very vicious and completely 
wild. Like you can't tame them. They're going to like tear you apart. <laughs> but everything about this world is wild. They kept referring to what happened as chaos. I think that represents humanity well. I should say the end to humanity in the book. It represents it well. And it also represents the reality that Snowman is in. Because there is, in a sense, there is chaos. Because man is not top of the food chain. Uh, Let me explain before you go crazy. (laughs) For as long as people can remember, humans have been the top of the food chain. And obviously that isn't always necessarily the case. Like, they're quite obviously animals that can tear us apart. (laughs) But overall, humans have been top of the food chain. And in this world, that was no longer the case. I mean, there wasn't really an order to things. Everything started over. And the... Crakers, which I'll talk about in a second, were vegetarians. They didn't kill animals. And so it was a really interesting twist to an apocalypse, essentially. Uh, I I assumed it would be pre-apocalyptic, but it was pre-apocalyptic during apocalypse. So apocalyptic (laughs) and post-apocalyptic, which is very interesting. I don't think I've ever read a book like that where it was all in one. So now I'm going to dive into the characters a little bit. So the main character is Snowman slash Jimmy, and I'm going to talk about them as if they are two separate characters, actually, because when you're reading the book, they really come across as two different characters. There's a huge change that happens at a certain point in the book where he just becomes a completely different person and Jimmy really is is a child I mean you know you also see him as an adult but it represents a much more innocent version of him I think but anyways Jimmy is the protagonist represented as a child pretty much he is the past self of snowman the, the snowman that is free of all of his current concerns, being the last human alive on Earth. And it flips back and forth between past and present. And as a child, Jimmy was very intelligent, but for his community, he was kind of average, which blows me away because it's way past my intelligence level. (laughs) And not that I'm like, crazy smart or anything but I think something that's really interesting is how observant he is even as a child and how he watches his parents and how they interact and how he could see even from a young age the shift that happened between his mom and his dad and it's something obviously he kind of reflects on as an adult and there's there's a little bit of a skewed view but through that lens of the past it's very clear that he still understood what was going on, which we'll get into a little bit more when we talk about Jimmy's mom, but it's cool to see him growing up and how he changes over time, and how his friendship with Craig, which also begins as a child during his kind of like pre- 
teen years or early teen years, how that also changes him and how that kind of matures him and um, changes his outlook on life and what's important. And he sees a very different part of life through Craig's eyes. Craig is a very interesting character and Jimmy is his closest friend. And so Jimmy is able to, I think, mature really through Craig, but at the same time, not really. <laughs> he he matures in intellectually through Craig, but you can also see the huge contrast between characters where Craig is this overarching intellectually esteemed person who is obviously so far beyond everyone else surrounding him. Whereas Jimmy is a little bit more average and probably represents everyone else. And I think it's kind of nice, I think, to have that, that, that point of view, the more average point of view, which would represent probably most readers, not to say that you are average as a reader, but just a kind of like explaining to the dummy, air quotes there, uh, what's going on. That's a very typical trope. And I don't love it because I'm just assuming the reader isn't smart, which is not the case most of the time, but it also lends a nice contrast between characters and you can see how they differ as friends and how they both function differently within the world. And that is very clear in this storyline between Jimmy and Craig because you see where their paths lead. Jimmy's leads in a very different direction than Craig's. Craig is destined for greatness and Jimmy is in the terms of this world, not really, because it's a world that values science far more than the arts, which is what Jimmy is much more inclined to. I can relate. <laughs> Um, moving on more to Snowman now, the older Jimmy. Snowman is a cynical old man. I don't even think he's that old. He's probably 30s, early 40s, based off of the rough timeline in the book. That's the difficult part. They don't really give solid ages, except for like in a couple parts. I don't know exactly how old Snowman is, but he's not that old. He sounds like an old man, though. He sounds like a bitter old man. <laughs> but in the context of the book, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's the he's supposedly the last man on Earth. Why wouldn't you be bitter and spiteful about that? But he is very observant. He has kind of these voices in his head throughout the book. And I think it's memories, but I'm not really sure, to be honest, if it's that he's going crazy or if he has a stupid good memory. And these are all things from his path that he's just remembering. I did not connect the pieces as to what that was supposed to be. So you could take it either way, really. And something... What's really interesting about about snowman is that his character is very cynical and bitter but he's also really hopeful it's just really far down 
And despite being the last man on earth, he still has this purpose to live. He still has a reason to keep going. And that is something that a lot of people would not have, I think, at that point. Being the last person on earth, I mean, he made a promise to somebody and that's why he's still there. That's why he hasn't pulled the plug yet. And I think there's also something to be said about the will to survive, which is very real for humans, I think. But a lot of people probably wouldn't have been able to do that. I don't know if I could have, to be honest. Anyways, I'm going to move on to Craig now, um, briefly, since I kind of talked about him a bit a few minutes ago. So Craig is Jimmy's best and only friend. He is a super genius, a very stoic, close-minded person. Close-minded isn't the right word, but he's very observant, and you can tell he's on a level of his own. He's almost, like, uh, not godlike, but like a, like an alien coming down to view this lower life form is definitely the vibe that I got from Creek. And I think that was very much intended, especially with how his story plays out in how he just kind of goes throughout the book judging everyone and the actions of humanity and why people do things. And it's it's once you get to the end of the story, his arc his character arc makes a lot of sense and you connect all the pieces and you're like oh my gosh how did I not see it (laughs) but I think he's a really interesting character I kind of liked him he actually he reminds me of Sherlock Holmes like in the um the newer version with Benedict Cumberbatch playing Sherlock that kind of personality I think just very very intelligent, more intelligent than probably anyone I've ever met, just ridiculous amount of intelligence, and that kind of intelligence can lend itself to thinking a little more highly of yourself than uh, necessary sometimes, but at the same time, usually they're right, and they are much more intelligent than everyone around them, and regardless, it can it can lead to looking down on other people, and that's that's definitely how I would describe Craig, very much thinking he was better than everybody else and knew better than everyone else. And Oryx is another character. She's more of a side character. You don't really get to know her until about halfway through the book, or just a little under. You hear her name thrown around, but you don't really know a whole lot about her. And she is an integral part of the story. And I cannot say a whole lot about her without giving away a bunch of spoilers. So just going to say she is very important in Jimmy's slash Snowman's story. Um, She plays a big, big part in the twist. And there's, there's a lot to her. There's a lot to her story. And in the way that she describes what she went through during her life is is so matter of fact and so almost cold and flippant and it's it's crazy um if you read the book you will understand what I'm saying about that if you have not 
and you have no idea what that means, but I can tell you, it's crazy. It's hard to read, but it's crazy, and it was written really, really well. Margaret Atwood handled it really well and wrote about Craig's, sorry, Oryx's life very well. Uh, I'm also going to circle back to the weird names, Craig and Oryx. So in the book, there's this game called Extinctathon, and in the game, you're supposed to, it gives you like trivia questions, and you're supposed to name what species it is referring to the game and the game is run by this corporation called mad adam the name of the trilogy so you can guess that there is a running theme with that and it was a game that jimmy and craig played throughout their childhood and craig's real name is actually glenn <laughs> which just does not does not fit craig is a much better fit <laughs> but uh, he's just called Craig throughout the book because it just stuck. It was kind of his nickname and it stuck. And it's much more fitting than Glenn. But anyways, later on in the book, there is a place that Craig works and they go by these species names instead of their real names where he works. It's very confidential work and so it's just kind of like everyone's secrecy nickname code thing <laughs> and Jimmy never actually learns Oryx's real name he just learns her code name which is Oryx so Jimmy's mother is very interesting she's not in the book a whole lot but she comes up a lot uh, right from the start you can tell there's something wrong with her through the eyes of early Jimmy, you can see that she's not like everyone else. There is apparently something wrong with her. There's something not quite right. She's distant. She doesn't communicate well. She smokes all the time. She isn't very present in her son's life. She's just kind of aloof and kind of not ditzy because I would something very different she's just she's not there like it like she's physically there but like she's staring off into the distance all the time I think that's the best way to describe it and uh her relationship with Jimmy plays a big impact on him throughout the book and he revisits that a lot like you can see how that shaped him in a way, and his, his family situation was not good. I mean, he had a good relationship with his dad up until a point, and then it was just like, nope, this is bad now. <laughs> and so he talked about his dad for maybe 10 pages total, like overall, probably not even, because it was just, he wasn't very fond of his dad, but his mom made a much bigger impact. So another character, really a group of characters in the book are the Krakers, and that is what the other people left on Earth are called. So these are people, but not people. So Snowman is the last traditional, air quotes, human left on Earth, and the Krakers are the new humans on Earth. They're very different from Snowman. 
they are genetically created people. That's all I'm going to say. Because otherwise I'm going to give away spoilers and that was probably spoilery enough. <laughs> okay, so that sums up the main characters in Oryx and Crake. And now I'm going to dive into the plot a little bit. And this is not going to be a super in-depth look at everything that happens in the book because I want you guys to be surprised when and if you read it. So I'm just going to be talking about some major themes and the overarching plot, but I won't give away the ending or any major plot twists. So the overarching plot of the book focuses on Snowman, obviously, and he is the last man on Earth. And the only other uh, homo sapien-esque people are the Krakers. And he is just trying to survive. That is the point of the book. He has to go on a journey to get some more supplies. And you're following him as he does that. And then you're also hearing, or I should say reading, about his past up to that point. And... It's a really interesting look at the world. It's a great way to do world building because you're getting the present with what is currently going on, but then you're also getting the past and what the world was like up to that point or just before that point. And so it is a brilliant way that Margaret Atwood was able to include a lot of world building because in the past, you're able to gain this different perspective on the world as Jimmy's growing up aka snowman. <laughs> so something to note about this world is that it is very science focused and I think I mentioned that before but it's it's a world where arts are not really appreciated and they don't really matter. So Jimmy is much more arts focused. Same. And his best friend Creek is more science and math focused and so Jimmy's talents aren't really appreciated and the world he lives in and that kind of contributes to him feeling like an outcast. But getting back to the tech aspect of it, there's just a lot of tech in the in the book. And I'm not someone who has tons of science-y knowledge. And so a lot of the stuff was like, I don't know if this is possible or if it has happened at all, you know, in the recent years of science discovery. <laughs> but sure, this sounds plausible in the future if it hasn't already happened. So I just kind of took things as they were and didn't question it because that's not how my brain works with science. <laughs> uh, but it was really interesting because the science tech stuff was really mostly related to plants and the animals. It was taking uh, proponents of animals, like uh, specific traits, I suppose you could say, uh, or mechanisms that they possessed and inserting them into something else. So they talked about taking the coloring of, I think it was a, it was a plant, an algae or something, and putting it into wallpaper so that the wallpaper would change color based off of your mood, which is really, really interesting. Uh, it was like a, it's not like a mood ring, so like the wallpaper would change based on, like, to accommodate your mood. So like if you were angry, it would, the wallpaper would change to a color that was like a soothing tone, something that would help you calm down, which is fascinating. That'd be kind of cool. And the people who weren't into science were like, 
less than. So there's almost like a social caste system, not quite that ex uh, extreme, but there's definitely an order to how society worked. If you were into science and you were one of the higher ups and you were destined for greatness, but if you weren't, then you were kind of stuck with a job that probably wouldn't be great. Uh, something else I want to point out about the book is that if you're somebody who loves plot, this is probably not the book for you. While there is a plot in the book, it's a very character-driven book. And so if you're looking for a really strong plot that's filled with twists and turns and action or whatever, you probably are not going to enjoy this. And this is something that made it a little bit more difficult for me to read. I love character-driven books, but I need, not need, but I enjoy books that also have a lot of action or twists and turns to them. And so it got a little bit difficult at the beginning to get into, but I'm really glad I stuck with it because it turned out to be a really good read and there's some really good twists in the book. And it was really great to see the character arcs throughout. So a question I came out of this book with based off of a lot of the content and conversations had and kind of the uh, character arcs from different characters in the book all led to this one question, which is, what makes us human? So the Krakers are technically, they're people. They, 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 they look like humans. They are human-esque. They have two legs that they walk on. They have arms and hands and feet and heads, and they have a torso, and they have the same reproductive organs and they look human, but they possess a lot of different characteristics that animals have. Like they, and there's like different aspects to quote unquote improve them. Like they, they um, excrete this scent, I think. Uh, it's a, I think a citrusy scent to keep mosquitoes away, which is very interesting and I would like to sign up for that because that sounds great and mosquitoes are the worst <laughs> but there is this this aspect of like okay they're human-esque and if that is what humanity is from then on then well that's what humanity is but then throughout the book you're seeing this like retreat from the arts because it's less important and a dive a deeper dive into science into perfecting people and that just felt very felt interesting it was a really interesting turn and it brought up that question of like what makes us human what makes us the people that we are the human race and I think Crake and Jimmy slash Snowman were very good opposite representations of that because Crake I think was very much of the mindset of I think therefore I am a human and to him, all of the wonderful things like the arts and connection and human relation and everything that we enjoy about life didn't matter to existence. He was all about the survival aspect and becoming the best and this very primal instinct. Like to him, surviving and reproducing were the point of humanity which it makes sense in this 
setting and in this world considering the kind of looming downfall of humanity to to the people in this book and Jimmy represented more of the art side. I mean, he didn't understand really where Craig was coming from and all the judgments that Craig kept bringing up about humanity and how humans are so flawed and there's all these different things that human that would make humans better. Jimmy was like, okay, that's weird, but okay, I guess. And Jimmy was much more of a romantic, you could say, and he was more in 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 tune with words and and the arts and and writing and I think there's a very interesting question to answer with that is life about surviving and reproducing or is it about enjoying your existence and the relationships and the people and the hobbies and the things that you do and the the journey essentially we're not super cheesy but Bear with me. Or is it both? Is the point of being human or is what makes us human the fact that we can do both? I don't know. That's a question I'm going to leave you guys with today uh, after I give my final thoughts about the book. So overall, this is a great book. I think I chose the worst time to read it in the middle of the pandemic. Granted, where I'm at, we are able to go out and do things and, you know, go around unmasked if you're vaccinated, which is lovely, but we're still in the middle of it and there's still the Delta variant and all these different things going on. So this is probably the worst time to read a book about a plague (laughs) that wipes out humanity. Without that, though, it was a great book. It was incredibly well written. It was thought provoking and just Margaret Atwood expresses how incredibly talented she is in this writing and how she is a master of words. She knows when to use specific language to make you feel a certain thing or to make a character sound a certain way. And I know that is what it, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's an author's job. And it's like, okay, yes, you can say that. But one, really hard to do, like really hard. And two, you would think that that is the bare minimum for authors, but man, I have read some books that were not great (laughs) at executing that and many other things. But the point is that Margaret Atwood has expressed her full extent of talent in writing this book. And I mean, okay, this is the only book I've read by her, but just from reading this book, it's like, oh my gosh, this woman is a genius. An interesting fact, too, is that she was, I think, 62 when she published this book. Like, I think a lot of people in our society and our society as a whole focuses on hustling, hustle culture when you're young and getting rich young and establishing yourself young. It's like, okay, I am very guilty of that. It's like, I have to do everything now because I'm young and that's when I can enjoy it. And it's like, no, like you can be successful and popular and really good at your thing, at your field or whatever it is that you love when you're old. (laughs) Like just pursue what you love and do it your whole life. 
My overall rating and review for Oryx and Crate is I rated it four stars. Um, it wasn't five just because of some of the content um, wasn't my favorite. And that's totally preferential. I think it would have been great if there were some warnings about the content. But that's kind of a new concept in books. Uh, the other reason I rated it four stars is because I was so upset with how she ended it. <laughs> just in the fact that Snowman has to continue to suffer throughout the series and that he couldn't have just, you know, been rid of his misery at the end of this book. <laughs> but overall, it was a fantastic read, and I highly recommend it. Uh, it's engaging and thought-provoking and has some great character arcs and great twists at the end of the book. Currently, I am reading... Uh, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi uh, uh, Coates. I think that's how you say it. And it is a fantastic book. He wrote it as an open letter to his son uh, as a black man in America and how that has kind of shaped his life and what he hopes his son to glean from that letter and as he grows up. It's an incredibly enlightening read and I think something I've really been something I've really been thinking about recently in regards to uh, Black Lives Matter and paying more attention to that social issue um, really it's a human issue is that we can't as white people I'm a white person and anyone else who's listening who's white we can't dismiss somebody's experience and say like oh well that that's not how I see the world and so therefore you're being over dramatic or you're just bitter we can't do that because this is what they're this is how they're seeing the world and this is what they're experiencing and we have no right to tell them differently so this is just a really this has been a really good read to just hear more black experiences and become more empathetic and try to understand how changes need to be made and trying to figure out what needs to be done for those changes to be made. And I'm also about to start The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. I am very excited to read it, but I'm also a little intimidated because it is so big, it's like 600 pages. So that will be a bit of a longer read, <laughs> but I'm excited for it. It's a really good fantasy book from what I've heard from my friends and my husband. So next week, we will be doing a special episode about the purpose of this podcast. I have talked about it a bit in that the purpose is to support female authors in sci-fi and fantasy, but I want to dive deeper into that and let you guys know that this is a real issue and show you some statistics and data and experiences of female authors in this realm and why we need to pay attention to this and how you guys can help female authors in sci-fi and fantasy. So I'll be next week and I hope you come back to join me for that episode. You can follow me on Instagram at uh, femfatale.pod and thank you so much for listening this week and I hope you have a great weekend.